Welcome to the November 1st Pages episode of Print Run. My name is Eric Kane. With me, as always, is Laura Zatz. Say hello, Laura. Hello, everyone. Yeah, so today, um, why, well, why don't you tell us what we're doing today here, Laura? I am so excited about today, Eric. So this is our writer-specific bonus episode, mm-hmm. special content. The second bonus episode the of the month. The second yeah. bonus episode of the month, but it's our first First Pages episode. Mm-hmm. So this this entire episode is going to be us workshopping real opening pages of books in okay. real time and to, to not only give you craft advice, but to really explain what it is that agents are looking for and editors when they read books. Right. So... These are anonymously submitted, and they're going to stay anonymous. They were submitted specifically to us at printrunpodcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. This this is my not-so-subtle hint that if you, too, want to take part, <laughs> send us your first pages. Uh, also, just a note that this is the free, open-to-the-public version of something we're hoping to be doing every month yeah. starting next month. Well, technically starting this month. But... We're going to have these available to our Patreon subscribers. Right. So you, we gave a sample this month for November. We gave out our query show and our first page of show for free to everyone so that everyone can kind of see what it is. But next month, um, if you want access to this sort of stuff, it's going to be available to our subscribers, which um, we will be thrilled to have you subscribe. Um, and we think that this sort of stuff will be really useful to writers and um, anyone trying to get stuff submitted in accepted places. So, yeah, so let's let's just dive in. Right. I'm because I'm jazzed. All right. Um, <laughs> uh, the gong is a welcome. They, they sound gave me the gong this week, folks. After. It's a terrible idea. <laughs> All right. So I'll I'll read the first the first page that we're going to be looking at. All right. You ready? Yes. <clears throat> Prologue. <laughs> Eric, I hate prologues. Wow, we are we have to a bang and start so far. Yeah, I Why hate, do you prologues. hate prologues. Okay, so and and this is this is not a critique of this specific book, but no, this, this page is actually pretty good. This, but okay, we want to touch sure. about the prologue but, bit. But yeah. prologues in general yeah. are the bane of the publishing professional's existence because here's <laughs> why: it's lazy. Well, just so I just feel like with most prologues, for me, my immediate question is: Why isn't this just chapter one? Or why wouldn't you just make this the start of the book as opposed to being something kind of strange and stuck on the beginning, you know? It's indicative of two <clears throat> two things. Yeah. Um, the first of not necessarily knowing when or how to start a story. Yeah. yeah. Um, or in the, in the second one, it's basically like a cheap trick at getting us to care about some sort of climax or tension or relationship or something in the book mm-hmm. without giving us any background and without making us care. So, you know, like some prologues Because they're are, by nature mysterious, right? So yes. like you're, tr- you're you're using this trick to set this tone, this sort of unearned bit of mystery that 
you know, it, it's like you're saying, it's a little bit cheap. And if it, if you really feel that this is where your book should begin, then there's no reason not to make it just your first chapter. And if it's just a prologue to just <clears throat> drop in some history or whatever, right, yeah. like how it leads up to this point in this action. Then you need to find a better place for it. You need to find a better place for it's it. It's a half measure. So, I mean, and all of this is to say, you know, and I'm sure that many of you listeners are, are now thinking, but there are good prologues. But There are. But... But, 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 but here's, here's the fact of the matter. Um, you know, when I'm opening up a query or for, you know, like pages that I've requested and I see a prologue, I just skip it. Yeah. I just skip it. Yeah. And, and so many people in publishing do that. And your, your, your <coughs> prologue might be the best in the world, but just like, don't call it a prologue. You know just what I'm saying? Just make it chapter one. Just make it chapter one. If it's one. a chapter. If it, and if it's not a chapter, really think about why it is. It can't stand as one. Um, okay, are we ready? Yes. Are we ready now, for this first I'm page ready. of this prologue? Yes. <laughs> um, so it starts with a, um, a set-aside bit in italics here that I've now taken as the motto of the show. Um, murder was never the plan. Do I need to be worried? <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're serious. We're serious, people. Here we go. Murder was never the plan. It all started on Halloween, or really, that's when all the parts that had already started their own sort of their own sort of met up with each other, coalesced, and became the one big thing that was starting. It probably really started the week before Halloween when somebody threw an egg at Mr. Hugo's car. I'm gonna stop you there. Okay. <laughs> um. So I and, and so normally when agents are reading first pages, we read back at the query and familiarize ourselves with like what in the hell we're doing. Right. Eric and I are reading blind here, so we don't exactly know what this book is. We don't know even what genre it is other than what we can infer. Um, but my, my note here is that, you know, the, that little bit was two paragraphs and I understand the intention of it as, as creating the voice and of, of the main character whom I'm assuming with mentioning a, a teacher Assuming that it, this is either a YA book or a middle grade book, but with given the murder, I'm guessing it's YA. Really? Oh, interesting. Yeah, but right. <clears throat> um, but it was it was a little bit too much, you know. It talking about how things started, you know, it just got a little bit repetitive. I would, you know, if we wanted to keep that voice, I would just say it all started on Halloween. And then, or really, it probably started the week before Halloween when somebody threw an egg at Mr. Hugo's car. Like, keep it, like, keep, you can keep the voice without making it kind of feel, ugh, yeah, like, right. like repetitive. So keep let's going. keep going here. It wasn't that the car was particularly new or its paint job particularly nice. The egg hit the driver's side front window anyway, and Mr. Hugo was able to clean it up pretty quickly. It wasn't that the well-thrown egg... It, it wasn't that well-thrown an egg, and it wasn't accompanied by a tomato or shaving cream or toilet paper. If the egg had been thrown a week later, if the egg had been thrown on October 31st, no one would have noticed that it was Mr. Hugo's car that got hit. But it wasn't Halloween yet, and the egg was thrown at Mr. Hugo's car while he was in it, and everybody knew that it was the first open act of hostility. I'm intrigued by that. No, Are I, you intrigued I, by that? I am intrigued by that. I think that there's a little, tiny little bit of unnecessary step backing happening here there's a lot of like this you know um this is the moment but actually this past moment was actually the moment and i i like what's going on here it's just i wonder if there's maybe a little bit of like chronology cleanup that we could do or just yeah a little steps. bit a little bit to make it <clears throat> a little cleaner maybe a tiny bit shorter but, but all like in the, all i like the kind of foreboding sense of what's happening like i do like the sort of 
past look at something that's already happened. I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, I'm um, I'm, I'm liking the voice so far. And I we're gonna see that problem. Can you know this kind of multiple layerings of the past that can get a little garbled. It's going to continue right here. It says, because it all really started at the end of August when the new school year began and Mr. Hugo took over teaching freshman history. It had been announced at the school's open house the week before, and the town was small enough that even some of the adults were talking about it. The PTA chairwoman had been somewhat cagey about the whole thing, only bringing it up, as she said, unofficially at the open house, not to hang a banner on the man, but to let him quietly join our faculty and feel welcomed. These were her exact words. She didn't introduce Mr. Hugo at that time and said nothing more about him. The town began buzzing. Rumors circulated that he had been brought in from an upstate private school and was going to help shape up their curriculum. Others said that he had left his previous school over some scandal with another teacher. I'm going to stop there. Now, um, we've I'm guessing that Mr. Hugo is not the main character. He sure he sure doesn't seem like it. He He doesn't seem like the main character. Student or someone. Yeah, I'm guessing it's a student, um, somebody who who kind of gets involved with action with Mr. Hugo later in the book or, you know, the next page. I'm not entirely Mm -hmm. certain. We're not seeing the next page. Uh, Word of caution just in general to two writers. Be really careful about what characters you spend the most time on in your first page. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, because it does make, it just makes it about something, you know, I mean, this is your first, exp- this is the first exposure of your, your character's voice, right? Or, of, or in, um, basically, if you put the emphasis on someone that isn't your main character, it's going to feel a little strange when you suddenly snap back into that person's life. Yeah, in a it's, it's, so. it's going to confuse the reader. It might make them feel a little bereft if they've already yeah. bonded with the character that you've presented. Also, you know, like it, it might also stop them reading because we keep reading because we're liking the who the person is that is bringing us through this world on a journey the protagonist as it were well so let me ask you this question yes and this is something that i'm um do you think this book is in the first or third person third you think third i'm guessing third i think it's in the first person really which i think is an interesting conversation because i think that there's nothing definitive to suggest that either way here um because this all could be a student sitting there kind of telling you this it's got that kind of tone to it to me yeah um but you know, there's not, there's no I in here. There's no um, bit of personal bias, any of the hallmarks of a first-person narrative. Um, so I wonder a little bit about that. I'm guessing it's a very close third, Yeah. but I could be very wrong. So <clears throat> I guess another lesson is we should probably know what the point well, of view is. Well, maybe. I mean, I think that that kind of speaks to your point about, um, you know, not necessarily seeing the main character yet. Yeah. You know, if we knew... Like, you could do all of this, and then also, you know, whoever your main character is, he or she, um, could be present somewhere in here, you know? Yeah, And we could I would see like that, that person framed. Um, but as it is, all we've got is an unseen person talking, and I'm not sure if it's the, um, if it's a third-person narrator or if it's a first-person narrator or who that is. And, um, you know, it's good to just kind of establish that, I think, early and there's nothing you know this writing is strong it's just i'm just interested in knowing about the kind of the framing a yeah, little bit more yeah all right should i should i keep going please okay so the last paragraph here those students who had mr hugo's history for first period Wait, you missed you missed a paragraph oh i did Darn rumors it. circulated yeah okay 
Rumors circulated that he had been brought in from an upstate private school and was going to help shape up their curriculum. Others said that he had left his previous school over some scandal with another teacher. I'm sorry, you didn't actually miss that. I missed that. Oops. Those students who had Mr. Hugo's history for first period were deemed the luckiest. They got to be the first ones to spread the real gossip. But that first day, there was no gossip to spread. Mr. Hugo was a nice-seeming man with a sweet smile. He was tall and fit, and some of the girls said he was handsome for an older man. His hair was dark blonde, and his temples were just starting to silver in that very dignified way. Many of the female teachers engaged him in small talk in the teacher's lounge or between classes. They observed to each other that he was a very polite, well-spoken man and really seemed to listen when you talked. He didn't wear a wedding ring. Very little was said about Mr. Hugo's teaching after it was decided that he was neither a tyrant nor a pushover and seemed to know his stuff. The boys looked at his broad shoulders and wondered if he would take over as coach on the basketball or football team. Mr. Hugo seemed ready to like everyone, and everyone was ready to like Mr. Hugo. The Fredrickson twins were among Mr. Hugo's first period pupils, but no one saw this as significant until the day after Halloween. And that's the end of the first page. I like that last sentence. I do. I do like that. You know, I I think in retrospect, having finished it, I think it would be a little bit punchier mm-hmm. if the 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 beginning part about the it all started on Halloween, but not really Halloween, et cetera. If that was paired back a little bit, yeah. so that you know we get to the end of this first page <clears throat> and we're realizing that you know this has something to do with the Fredrickson twins and that we have to keep reading to know yeah. more. And yeah. I'm guessing the main characters or one of the main characters is going to be one of those kids. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, overall, I think that this, this is really strong writing. I think yeah. it just needs to, you know, the writer of this just needs to take a hard look at the framing. I do think that it's third person, having finished that last yeah. bit, because there's a lot of... You know, there's a kind of a wide base of knowledge here. We're hearing what the teachers are thinking, what the boys are thinking, what the girls, you know. Um, so I do think it's third person. Yeah. Um, and so, assuming yeah. assuming that this is YA, um, I I really like that. You don't see that a lot. You don't see that very close but still omniscient third person really? POV. Yeah, huh. because so so much of YA, it's just, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you think that you have to be in just the main character's head, even if it's third person and you only follow this one person. But for something as atmospheric as this, something as atmospheric when we know that there's going to be a murder happening, we know that there's a new person, you know, you've got the town, the small town buzz. Like that's, that's a really, really nice atmosphere. And I think that this is a really smart choice for POV Mm -hmm. to, to really capture that. And it's really rare. So I'm totally digging that. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I think that overall that's a strong first page. There's a lot to – I think one of the key thing that it did that's good in a first page in terms of what um, professional readers are looking for is that it does promise a lot of stuff. You know, it gets you – it builds a lot of engagement for later. It promises you that there's going to be – like you're saying, it's, there's going to be a murder, that there's kind of these twins that are factoring into this kind of watershed moment that happens. There's an egg toss. Um an egg toss sounds like something other than vandalism. <laughs> like I, that I feel like that at, was like a British like a to county put it. fair. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that sounds like something I would like lose at at a state fair or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> but I like it because it kind of it establishes a lot of threads early in an interesting and kind of subtle way. 
and I think that that's probably its best strength. Yeah, like I I would keep reading. <clears throat> yeah, I, I would I would absolutely yeah. keep reading this one. So well done, stranger listener. Person, person number one. Yeah. Person number one. All right. All right. Well, should we do the second one? Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna read this one, so I'm excited about it. Yeah, yeah. They really shouldn't have given me the <laughs> gong today. All right, what do we got? Here okay. This one does not have a prologue. This patient is dying, and there's nothing more I can do. Not even repeating today would save this woman from her stroke during the night. No, this time at least, I get to suffer my patient's loss like a normal physician, and providing things like a comfortable passing without feeling guilt is almost a blessing. How is that for a good first paragraph? How what do you think? I don't like it. You don't like it. Why don't you um, like it? I, it's not that I don't like it. It's not that I don't like it. It's there's, I think there's a lot. There's obviously a really good emotional thing happening here. You know, you've got a um, doctor or a nurse we're, we're about to find um, who is dealing with someone who's dying, kind of dealing with that guilt and that kind of hopelessness of knowing as someone who's working here that this person is going to die. Um, my problem with it is that there's no um, – it's, it's pretty melodramatic. Mm. And, you know, there's a lot. It's got that kind of, um, I don't know, it's, a lot, it's It's all kind of emotional pain, right? It's all this kind of, um, I don't know, abstract feeling stuff. And I think with books like this, with um, scenes that are meant to be this heavy, one of the things I always look for are like physical details and letting myself feel the things this author wants me to feel without him or her having to say them, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like if you've got something that's really melodramatic and heavy in your book, such as watching a patient at your hospital die or, um, you know, something like that. To me, a lot of that emotional work can be left unsaid because I'll get it if you just show me the scene. Mm. You know what I mean? So this is a classic show. Well, yeah, it's like, it's like, I don't know anything about the room here. I don't know much about, um, I don't know. And obviously we're going to get to that. So, I mean, you know, when we pick these things apart, we're being a little bit unfair because this is the very first paragraph of this book. And I'm sure we're going to get some, and we do, we get some details here in a second, but, um, to, to start with that kind of emotional first person floatiness. Um, I think it, it, I would rather see something that kind of grounds me in the moment so that I can kind of draw those emotional extractions for myself. Yeah, it's it's hard to be but, empathetic to a, a character when you don't know who they are and is, you maybe, don't know where they are well, and why the they're feeling. Well, that's the best way to put it is don't tell me to be empathetic. Show me that I should be. Yeah. You know, like um, – with this kind of with this kind of stuff, you know, the reason people would read a book like this is because they want to do that emotional work on their own, you know. So it's like show me, you know, this this person, you know, working in this world, you know, doing the thing, doing all the little futile things, you know, fixing the sheets and like doing, you know, checking monitors that, you know, they already know are kind of, you know, on the fritz, you know. Um, show me that kind of stuff because I think that I'll get the idea better that way, and then you can kind of pepper in some of these emotional thoughts as you go. But um, with this kind of this kind of stuff, especially in a first person narrative, because the tendency is so it's so easy to just kind of get lost in a character's head. Um, ground me, you know, give me some details about the world this person's living in that I can then use to kind of picture it a little bit better. But keep going. That was a pretty like long dissection of a person's first I think it's important I mean you only get one first impression yeah yeah no I mean but so I think with a lot of this stuff it is important to point out that we're being you know we're being hypercritical Um, and we're also doing this blind so we don't have as much context yeah but that but that is the idea so we we figure we're doing this blind on purpose so that we're extra critical because that's valuable all right right. 
I glance at the pajama-clad granddaughter crying beside the bed. Monitors beep around us like orchestral crickets and bleach flavors the air. Okay. I'm just going to... I mean, I, I like that imagery. I am going to stop and make a note. The daughter, the granddaughter crying is a little on the nose. Well, I was going to say uh, this is in first-person present. Uh-huh. Which, um, I don't know. Eric, what, what are your feelings <laughs> on first-person present? This fight. People love this fight. Um, I don't think about it that much, to be honest. It didn't ring. I know that some people really dis- dislike it because yes. they view first-person as, like, by nature a retelling, right? Um, or whatever the you know whatever the argument is that it needs to be in the past tense, but um, I, I mean I, I guess at least in this bit it didn't really catch me as particularly irritating, but I could be persuaded. Why don't you like it? it I'm not saying I don't like it. You know, I my list contains several first person present books, yeah. but in all of them I never noticed that it was in the present tense until I was at least fifty to eighty pages in. Really. Yes, because because the writing has to be exemplary because and and I think it's as simple as this. I think that as readers, when we first learn to read, we're taught that things happen in the past tense. And so unless, you know, you read a lot in first person present, it's very easy for first person present to be distracting because it's not what you're used to. Yeah. So really what it needs is you need to go really kind of that extra yard to go into making sure that you're showing scenes, that you're that you're creating all of this groundwork for your reader to guide them through if you're giving them something that feels a little bit more unfamiliar. So mm-hmm. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying be aware sure. of why this decision is made. It's a difficult made. thing to do. And if you're going to take it on, you should make sure you're aware of the complications yeah and and maybe this book does it wonderfully and i don't know it's just something that i noticed and i wanted to mention all right keep going all right so this isn't what they need they need peace and respect and i can at least provide them those so i mute the machines and readjust her pillow chanel number five tickles my nose and despite everything my lips tug up at one corner if this patient also loved bacon she could have been granny's twin (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I laughed at that. Um, I think the you know the bit about this isn't what they need. They need peace and respect. It's like those two feel like simple enough things that you could show me that through an action. Mm-hmm. You know, you could show me this doctor, you know, maybe tiptoeing around them, trying to get out of the way, trying to do, you know, like a lot of this emotional stuff, a lot of these feelings that you're trying to tell me that these characters are having, they're easy enough to understand just by watching from the outside in. And when yep. you do that, then I can do that. It's the same thing as earlier. I can do that work on my own. I can see that this doctor is trying to, um, you know, show them peace and respect and all that kind of stuff. It's like, I don't know that we necessarily need to hear that spelled yeah. out, but, but that, but that wonderful person, like that, that, that present person and that invitation to be empathetic is what that line about the Chanel number five and the bacon. Yeah, that was like, good. That's what, that's what we're asking for. That's the perfect those example. Are de- that, those are details I can't get on my own, right? That's the difference. That's why that detail really works. And the ones about, you know, the needing the peace and the respect and the, there's nothing I can do and the guilt earlier. It's like I could probably see that stuff if you, um, if you just showed me the scene happening. Like if I was watching this as a movie and the sound was off, I could probably get all those emotions and I wouldn't need someone to tell me them. But like the Chanel number five and the, you know, the patient loving bacon would make her like, you know, her grandmother. That's that's stuff that I have to have told to me. I would. And that's why it's effective, I think. And that's I think a key with some of these pages is you should only say things 
that I wouldn't be, I wouldn't possibly know otherwise or couldn't possibly be shown to me. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So keep going. At the thought, something tightens deep in my chest, but I push it aside. This isn't my granny. It's Mrs. Avery's. I've advised her of the prognosis. There's nothing left to say, yet I still don't leave. Instead, I place a hand on the young woman's shoulder. I'm sorry I can't do more, but I will keep her comfortable. She raises red, swollen eyes to my burning ones and nods. Then, then I guess that's enough. Her breaking voice echoes my heart. One day I'll stare at my granny like that. At my only family, my best friend. Nothing will be enough on that day. With a deep breath, I squeeze Miss Avery's shoulder gently and then leave her to her grief. Okay. Um, so obviously we have a, a sad scene here. Mm-hmm. Um, but let me ask you this. What's, what's unexpected here? Because I might, I might argue that not very much is. Like you've got an interaction that I had kind of already assumed had happened, right? Like yes. the idea that two people would say... You know, the doctor would say, I'm sorry, I can't do more, but I'll keep her comfortable. And then the woman responding, then I guess that's enough. None, you know, that dialogue, I mean, I, I kind of already pictured that that exact exchange had yeah. already occurred. And it's like, so if you're going to, sh- it's the same thing that we've been saying. If you're going to show me something, show me something that I couldn't guess at, had, you know, without needing to see it. And so, you know, this is a pretty standard scene, right? There's nothing in this that isn't fairly archetypal, you know? Um, there's no part of this, you know, hospital visit really that's kind of defying what one would expect when they pictured a hospital visit. If that makes sense. I yeah, I know exactly what you mean, and you know. And so my... I guess I want a few more like distinct details that relate either, you know, and that's it goes back, you know, the the bit we really liked about the, you know, personalization. It's like we need maybe a little bit more of that in a way that isn't quite so. Um, I don't know. Archetypal is the word I keep. Yeah, back to, I'm. But. I'm after this first page. I'm not entirely convinced that this book starts at the right place. Okay, why? Because I. Because I mean, unless I'm wrong, that Miss Avery becomes a key character in this book. Then this scene is basically just to show that the main character, who we still don't know even. Right. You know what gender they are. Right. Or what their name is, or who they are, other right. other than the fact that they're. Right best friends with their grandmother and their physician. Um, all this really seems to be doing is setting them up as an empathetic person who works in a hospital. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, you might have read this all over the place because it, people talk about it all the time, but you need to give us action in our first scene. We need conflict. We need conflict because not we're not going to keep reading unless we want that, want to see how that conflict is resolved. And that's where I was hoping that the dialogue that got presented was going to present some sort of conflict because you've got the chance for it. You know, you've got this kind of emotionally charged scene, right? But there's no, there's just kind of tacit agreement throughout, you know, it's like maybe here the patient or the patient's family or someone, you know, disagrees with her. They have to like, you know, there's like a dilemma that she has to fix. And I know it's early to have like dilemmas, but you do need that sort of little inciting moment to show me something authentic about the character, to show me something authentic about the situation. Do you want to hear my, my guess about what the rest of this book is about? Yes. I think it's paranormal. What? <laughs> Why do you think that? Why do you think that? Um, close reading. That? Okay. Give First it paragraph has all right not even repeating today would save this woman from her stroke during the night 
no, this time at least I get to suffer my patient's loss oh, like a normal my physician. God. Yeah. No, I, I, see I think what you're that saying. this is paranormal. <laughs> I think that That's this catch, yeah. this this person, this Maybe. creature, this whatever, yeah. is perhaps working as a physician for some sort of reason that they're able we're gonna feel, to... You're gonna feel, we're both going to feel ludicrous if that isn't the case, though, and I hope the person who wrote this will tell us I mean, um, because I am curious now. Well, um, I am curious also, but but here's the thing. like even like I, If that's the case, then I had to do far too much digging for that to become apparent, uh-huh. and if it's not the case... Then, then I there's have still work to do. Then I have que- if it's not the case, then I have questions about this first little sentence that you're saying. Yeah. Like, what's not normal? Like, what, what is normal about today that's juxtaposed with the normal existence of this person, I guess, is how I mean, is the fundamental question that maybe we're missing here. But uh, that's funny. Um, now I, I'm curious to know if this <laughs> is paranormal. I hope someone tells us. Um, it's, a, I, it's either a good catch by you or an insane conspiracy theory that should be shot down immediately. I mean, out of the <laughs> two of us, I still think that you're winning on conspiracy theories. Well, you know. So, yeah, so, so that's, that's kind of, you know, and I think that's really where, you know, at the end of the day, I really do think that that's where that, that personal touch will come in because it gives us motivation other than, you know, helping somebody die easily. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Yeah. I agree. Um, we got time for one more? Where are we I at? think we yeah? do. Right. I'm, yeah. So I am reading this one, and you're going to stop me and comment throughout. Ready? Yes. Okay, so this is chapter one, of course, and it says uh, the title of the chapter, I, I guess, is A New Production. Okay. Val Miliari sat in stunned silence as the final curtain closed. There was a moment of hesitation from the crowd, a brief moment when she let herself hope the show had flopped. She wasn't that lucky. The dam broke and the audience stood as one, clapping wildly. Cries of bravo and amazing and Burkett rose to her private box, destroying her petty dream of one year without a hit for Willie Curtez. Not just any hit, either, an original penned by Daniel Burkett. She could practically read the reviews already, and a sick twisting started in her gut. I... For the most part, like that. I really like it. Yeah, I I like it a lot. I think this this is that that thing that we were talking about with with the last first page. It, we're it, it's that unexpectedness. You know, you're not expecting somebody to to not want something to be successful. You know, to be viewing a be viewing a play or whatever this is, some sort of performance. Well, there's cl- there's clearly a complex emotion. Here, you know, and it's hinting at a complex relationship between the um, character we're focused on and the people who put on the play. There's, you know, it's it grounds us well in the scene, right? We see, I can picture this exact moment really well in terms of its physical parameters. Um, so basically, I mean, it does all the things we want right away, which is a sense of where we are and a basic idea of some sort of emotional complexity. And I think we get there in that first little bit. Yeah, I think if I if I were to be really really nitpicky, <laughs> man, I don't know. I like this bit. But tell I, me, I know I like it a lot. I would want a little bit more of the emotional punch because there's something there's something that's so wonderfully poignant and and collective about a, an entire auditorium of people standing up and cheering. Yeah. And I kind of I, I want a little bit more of of what that what that's like. So we've got a 
hope and then we have a sick twisting in her gut but like i want a little bit we got pettiness i'm i'm someone who just loves pettiness i know (laughs) (laughs) in but in books laura and in life um I don't know. I, I feel like that. I, I don't know. I guess I think it's a pretty strong first paragraph. But let's keep going. I think I think it is really strong. I'm just like if I if I had to yeah. do it, I would want the 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 applause to be a little bit more present. Sure. All right. You ready? Yes. The curtain parted and the bowing began. There were what 50, 60 in the cast. Each interminable second of the fawning acclaim stretched to a year. Val had never seen an ovation like this, and she just wanted it to be over. This would be a good place to put that. FYI. Yeah. What I was just asking okay. for. Yeah, yeah. Keep that keep that emotion going. Continue. The house roared for Minerva San Volker. Some of the, the names are tr- going to be tricky for me on a first pass. <laughs> okay. She was already out of her gritten armor and in a conservative pale blue dress, the better to play the part of the demure ingenue at the premiere party. She bowed and as she straightened, stared directly at Val. It was the look of one enjoying a moment of sweet vindication. If the house had roared for Minerva, it shook and threatened to collapse when Sam Herdring took his bow. It hadn't changed. He, he hadn't changed. He just strode out to the middle of the stage as if he truly were a duelist marving himself. He'd been amazing. The show wouldn't have worked without the best performance he'd ever given. A fucking war epic love story about one of the most boring generals in suburban history, staged during the longest piece the country had ever known. I'm going to stop you. Okay. I think that there are too many names. A lot of names. There's a I lot agree. of names. Even if they were easy names. Even if, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I agree. There's a lot. So we, we just met a lot of people at once right there. We just met a lot of people. You know, what, what I think would have been perhaps a little bit more effective is instead of just throwing names and, you know, the Gratan armor and the said bird in history and then the names of the characters and the actors, mm-hmm. what might have been better is you know, a little bit closer POV on whoever the main character is and then watching, you know, the actress. And then, you know, instead of saying, you know, I this is the character that. that she was playing, you know, maybe say something a little bit about, you know, in- instead of the name, you can say, uh, let's see, there's something that was a- somebody that was a general, like something about the, the yeah. like a like an like a description of the general and how they're either embodying that or they've changed out of it or something. I think the upshot here is that um, it would be great to stay as tightly um, connected to that main character's perspective as we were in that little first bit. Um, it feels like we get kind of separate from her here. And I think if we just kind of stay close and see more of the, you know, of the feeling and the, um, you know, that kind of complex gut twisting we're hearing about. Yeah. Um, I was going to say that pettiness, but, you know. Yeah. And, and you know, I was assuming that from the very beginning that Val, the main character, was antagonistic towards Willie Curtez mm-hmm. or was antagonistic towards Daniel Burkett. Now we have Val and Minerva, who's the main actress, you know they're staring at each other and basically petty and yeah, yeah. whatever. Like, like I need stuff, I yeah. need to know this this muddles that pure pure emotion that was yeah. so good in that first paragraph. Yeah. So I'm I'm kind of wanting a little bit more of of that very clear. She wanted somebody to fail. Mm-hmm. Somebody didn't like because she can't be mad at all sixty people who were part of the play. You know. Yeah. 
as much as, you know, she might wish. All right. So um, here's the last little bit of what we have here. Val looked across the theater to Willie's private box. The Trascana was a big place, seating over a thousand, so there was some space between them. Still, she had no trouble seeing him stare back at her, a shit-eating grin plastered on his face. He'd stolen her half he'd stolen her half of this theater, told her that he hoped she crawled back into the gutter and never showed her face back there again. And yet he almost seemed to prefer that she hadn't. At the least he always saved her the best seats in the house for all of his premieres. He was waiting for some reaction, eager to know he'd gotten to her again. Okay, so now we have confirmation that her beef is indeed with Willie. Right. And it's because she's been ousted from this theater yeah. theater house. Um, yeah. That's, 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 that's clear. It's, mm-hmm. it's good. Um, I, I'm not 100% like dying to know more i maybe i'm i don't know maybe and i might be wrong this information might have been better if it was presented in kind of like a like a meet and greet after like in the lobby we stopped moving forward we did we got a lot of emotional um we're seeing all sorts of emotional ties between all these people and in the beginning of this little bit that was really interesting and good because we weren't overwhelmed by it yet and it was kind of in pacing with the actual physical motion and the plot of the book um, but here it's like, we're still seeing her kind of stand there and like, it's basically her standing there having like grudges or complex reactions at like several different people here. It's an info dump. And yeah. It's a, well, it's, yeah, it's like, it's kind of just, here's her attitudes towards every other character in this book all at once. And it's like, maybe what could be a little bit better is seeing this character move through space, you know, addressing these people, you know, or encountering these people one at a time or less at a time and have some like movement that I can kind of focus on and be grounded with, you know, as it's happening so that I'm not um, just totally inundated with trying to keep track of her complex relationships with every character that we've seen. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think it's also important to notice that this this is a, a fantasy novel. Yes. If you couldn't tell by all of the we unfamiliar names. The names and the, yeah, the history. Yeah. Um, but. One, you know, one thing that that I really like to see in in Mm -hmm. opening fantasy novels is a very slight easing us into the world that's not just names. You know, like I, I want to know I know that this this country is in the longest peace the country has ever known. I'm guessing spoiler that the peace isn't going to last. <laughs> well, so, well, so, yeah, no world building can be overwhelming. You it know, can, it's and like it you very have to often do it, is. You have to do it incrementally. Otherwise, it's like we're saying with this emotional stuff. You, suddenly you're trying to keep track of every detail about this place all at once. And. Um, so using those details to kind of incrementally present this stuff over time as we see the character move through space um, and, you know, work through sort of constant tension and conflict, you know, that kind of holds your plot together. That feels like a more authentic way to show me the world you're trying to build. Yeah. And I, you know, and it'd be easy enough to just drop, you know, a few of the names that, you know, very clearly aren't modern names. Yeah. You know, only of the people that that are immediately important to this very opening scene. Right. But then maybe give us a sense of what it is about this world that's different from our own. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if this is a fantasy world, you know, what what does theater look like 
in, there does in seem this like fantasy a ch- world. There's a chance for some more exciting. Yeah, there's a chance to really kind of show me some details I wouldn't be able to picture. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, in a, in a theater is a place where it's it's a culture's imagination writ large. And that seems wow. very grandiose. Wow. I know. Was, where did you have that one stored up? I Man, don't know. That was, that was a little bit gross. It was. I'm I sorry. Didn't, I didn't like it. <laughs> Please continue. Are you going to edit it out? Um, but but there's what I'm saying is that yeah, there's no, a really wonderful fine, yeah. there's a really wonderful opportunity, you know, whether it's in the clothes or it's in, you know, how the people take their curtain call or something like there's there's something to to give us a hint besides the name chance for something distinct and different beyond just kind of yeah yes yes i yeah so i mean all in all like i i'm a a total theater geek and i think that this is a really cool idea Uh i just want to see more of the world present well there's a lot yeah there's a lot of um we've been kind of inundated with a lot of emotional complexity um, which is great for the book. Like we want that. You know, you definitely want that. It's just a matter of kind of pre- taking your time and presenting it and kind of clearing it out. Maybe all from this first page and in its place, putting in some more grounding details that we can kind of picture the situation and see her move around. And but I don't know. No, it's it's definitely you know a strong. It's definitely a strong stir up. There's yeah. a lot of good raw elements here. Yeah, I think I think all of these were were yeah. really strong. Yeah. You know, we're we're nitpicking pretty hard. Yeah. We're nitpicking pretty hard. Um, well, I, you know, I would love to do another one, but I don't know if we have time because we yeah. want to do it justice. So everything yeah. that we don't, we haven't gotten to today, we'll be covering next month and the month after and the month after that. So mm-hmm. if you submitted something to us and it didn't come through and we didn't talk about it, uh, you'll just have to tune in next month. Yep. Yeah. So again, if you're interested in having either your query or your first page read by us and critiqued on air, Send it to us at pr- printrunpodcast at gmail.com. Yep. Uh, and also just a reminder that all of the query and first page special content episodes will be for our Patreon supporters here on out. Yep. That's, uh, yeah. I mean, otherwise, it's kind of the regular business. We'll have n- new episodes every Tuesday um, and this once a month on Thursdays. Yep, we're and we're really excited about it. Thank you so much for joining us yeah. and for listening to us be picky about writing. <laughs> uh, it's it's actually my favorite thing yeah. to do to do the first pages and the queries, and I hope you enjoyed it as well. Yeah. So we will see you on Tuesday for regular shows and next month for our special content. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you.